Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. In a moment, we will be in the book of Genesis. But first of all, I want to share with you what's been going on with us in Spain. Let me take this thing off because it fell apart on me just a second. I've had uh, interesting experiences with these things. One time, it kept going up and down, and then uh, it went into my nose, and throughout the whole building, (laughs) you heard this impressive... (laughs) So, I want to make sure I got that straightened out. But we are Caleb and Sarah Burdett, and Chloe... Actually, it's my second Father's Day. Chloe's just a little over a year old. And if you haven't seen her, well, she's in the top, I don't know, maybe five cutest kids in the world. <laughs> She's not the cutest. I mean, there are some other ones that uh, Joshua's little girl, she's, I, she's up there too. <laughs> anyway, so we're in the country of Spain and the province of La Rioja and the city of Lagroño. But how did we get there? Well, many of you know it took me a year the first year we were in the city of Salamanca, and I had to go through language training. And it was four hours a day, five days a week, and about four to six hours of homework every day. And Lord, through his grace, got me through that. And we were in that city for two years after language school. I was given opportunities, well, during it too, to speak in a school, and not a school, in a church that we were attending there and kind of be mentored under another missionary. Got a lot of first, the first baptism I was able to do, or helping mentor a lady and her son, and they said, uh, would you, bat-? this isn't them, this is another one, but it's one I had a picture of, and we didn't have a baptismal, so we just go down the river, it's kind of neat. Got to get our feet wet in English conversational groups, and in kind of re- restoring, renovating a little a storefront that was in really bad condition, we used that. So we kind of got ideas of ministry in Spain in in the beginning forms in Salamanca. And that was a really neat time. Not being by ourselves as well. We have teammates, but having other older missionaries there to, to glean from. And then we started out after about two, uh, sorry, about 15 months of being there. I'd finished language school. Jonathan Romain, my teammate, and I started going out on trips, survey trips, and we spent we spent anywhere from one to three days visiting different cities. We to make a long story short, 27 cities that people had recommended we consider. We narrowed to 13. We visited 13. We narrowed those to two. We took our families to Gijón and Logroño for about three to five days to just kind of get to know the city, get to know the people. And the Lord really confirmed in our hearts that he was going to have us go to Logroño. And so we've been there for, before we came back here, it was just almost a year and a half. A little bit about Logroño. Has anybody ever heard of the city of Logroño before I just mentioned it? Okay, so one, two people. It's a city that's on the Camino. That's what that yellow arrow is called. And I also have a little little shell. If you see somebody walking through Logroño with one of these on their backpack, it means that they're on the Camino. Uh, the Camino de Santiago It's the way of St. James, and it's a 1,200-year-old pilgrimage that people take. And, and years back, they took it 
really to kind of as a penance to pay for sin or, or knock time off of purgatory. Now it's more like the Appalachian Trail. It's much more popular because about 200,000 people go on it every year. That's one of the reasons Logroño became a more popular city. It goes right through the middle of the city. And you can see like a, it's got old and new because it's got like their old cathedral and their bullring. That dome there is a bullring. So it's got like a old tradition with modern retractable roof and stuff. It's kind of what you would think of quintessential Spain with some things you wouldn't think. And they've got a thriving business district. It's the capital of the wine district in, in Spain and almost the capital of Europe. Kind of vies with Porto and, and some other places. That kind of helps the economy stay thriving. And then it wasn't that long after we got there that, that Chloe was born. And so we kind of learned the medical system through having a baby. It's much different than in the States. You have to take your own clothes and everything to the hospital. They don't give you anything of that, like that. Just a lot of different things. But the Lord uses that to kind of, that's like immersion. Like, you have a baby here, <laughs> you got to learn. And sometimes Sarah and I would go away from an appointment and be like, now, did you get what he was saying about this? And not, uh, it was a very interesting time. Sometimes we'd go home, we'd like Googling a term or something. Or I, you know, because when you go to a language school, you don't learn like all these medical terms. And it was a great time, though. The Lord has used Chloe so much to open opportunities to, to converse with people, open up relationships, because Sarah would say, before we had Chloe, were we invisible? Because people, you know, they check out your groceries or something, not talk to you, and then once Chloe's there, it's like, whoa, what big eyes she has, whoa, how old is she? Oh, she waved at me, whoa, how cute! <laughs> it's like, yeah, I've been here every couple days for the last year. <laughs> good, to, good to meet you, too. But they'll stop on the side of the road. People don't do that in Spain. They don't stop you to say hello. But they'll stop to say hello to Chloe. So uh, God uses that little sinner there to, and she will she will show how she is, on a daily basis. Other things the Lord has used. Um, if you read our updates, you know that we have uh, actually two English conversational groups. The Lord has used those to kind of put our foot in the door. People have a, a reason they want to get to know us. But then from that, there have been some like gospel conversations within the, the conversational group, but not many, because that's usually we're just helping them with their English uh, on any given topic. Usually we'll use things like current events, like this one was July 4th, and so I was talking about homemade hand-cranked ice cream, and, and that they had never heard of that, so I was like, we have to have homemade hand-cranked ice cream. And my father-in-law has one of those over there, which he bought from the States. And we had that in the park. We usually have 10 to 12 people, and 40 people showed up for that. And so they stayed from like 7 o'clock to some as late as 10 o'clock and just talking. And that question came up that so often comes up, why are you here in Spain? You know, it takes a little time before people usually ask us that question, and it opens the opportunity. And usually then the next question is, oh, you're Mormons. No, we're not Mormons. So, so what do, you, do you wear special clothes? I've been asked that. Do you, do you preach sermons? All these different things. So Lord uses the, just the fact that we're Americans. I've had more than once somebody say, where are you from? United States of America? I've never met an American before. I'm like, are you serious? You've never, okay. I hope I make a good impression. Most Logroñeses, 
what they think of Americans is what they see on, on movies and series. And uh, they say, oh, I saw that on Netflix. So, Netflix. That's how someone told me. She, most people never heard Caleb, but she's like, oh, Caleb, I've heard that. Oh, there's a guy on a series the Netflix that's named Caleb. I'm like, okay. Another thing we did was uh, I had learned the hard way that Spaniards don't usually come into my home. In fact, I've never had a Spaniard, apart from this one event, which was a Thanksgiving dinner, I've never had a Spaniard come into my home for a meal or anything that wasn't a believer already. I'd invited people, foreigners I can get come, to come to my home. But I'd invited intentionally, and no, I can't do it. They always have a good excuse why. But they would come to when I said I was going to have a Thanksgiving, traditional American Thanksgiving, and they're like, como las películas? Just like in the movies? I'm like, it's, it's going to be just like the movies. I even brought, uh, on, my, on my iPad, I had a picture of Norman Rockwell's Thanksgiving. <laughs> I said, it's going to look basically just like this. And it did. It looked just like it. I mean, they, they were just, they'd, they'd never seen a full turkey one guy had seen a full turkey actually that day or the day before that was cooked. So they were all enamored with that. Most all of them brought a bottle of wine. And I was like, oh, thank you. I, personally, I don't drink, but uh, I guess that's what you do here. And so just a lot of, they didn't teach me about what to do about that in Bible school. So, but 17 people showed up to my house that day. And our little apartment, we had 25 all together that day. And people would say this. I had multiple people tell me this that day, or say this to me. Caleb, this is weird. Spaniards don't invite people into their homes. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, I'm not a Spaniard. And they're like, I, I think I kind of like it, but we don't, we don't have people into our homes. We go out to a restaurant and meet with people. So that was a good learning lesson. It kind of shed light on why people would not, or, or they would say they were interested in coming to our Bible study, but they would never come because it's in our home. Uh, they say, oh, I'm interested in doing that. I never show up. Uh, it's a polite way to say, I'm not going to come. El Camino, another way the Lord's opened up, where we take a three-day hike along the Camino every year. And we'll invite people who want to speak English. We say, well, all we're going to do is speak English these three days. When you're bunking with people, walking, very primitive, the Camino is. Sometimes you're walking with cows and stuff like that. But we read through Pilgrim's Progress on the way, a simplified version, and we ask questions. We have questions prepared for them. And when you ask questions and not, we're not throwing out accusations, but say things like, how did you come to believe what you believe? Maybe a follow-up question to that would be, if you were wrong in something uh, you believed in, would you want to know? And the Lord has opened up so many times through that. Because when you're walking alongside someone for hours in a day, we walk 30 kilometers one day, it just it opens itself for conversation. And we stop like four or five times for coffee and stuff like that. So that's what the Camino is. It's a lot of fun. You should come sometime and uh, join us for that. In our neighborhood association, we opened up our second English group. And that was more people that, are, well, they all live in my neighborhood of Neighborhood being big, like 5,000 people. But that's neat because you get to rub shoulders with people who you see more on a frequent basis. And then also the, uh, the library club. And that's been the most surprising to me. I just really joined it to be able to further my Spanish. I got to read a novel every two weeks, usually books that I would not ever read in my life. 
but it gives me more vocabulary, and then I have to have a you know, semi-intelligent conversation about it because they're going to ask me questions when 20 of us get together on a Wednesday night to read uh, or to uh, talk about it. And yeah, I've been in that group for a year. I had a couple times interesting conversations, but the last one I was ever in, we just read a book about reincarnation. So boring. It was really boring. I had this lady that goes, goes and she's an aunt and all these different things she goes through begrudgingly read it. I was a little late to get to this one, and the, as soon as I come in, the lady says, Caleb, uh, I'm so glad you're here. We were talking about the afterlife. Do you believe in the afterlife? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Good to see you, too. Do you believe in heaven? Yes, I do. Do you believe in hell? It was like random, rapid-fire questions. Yes, I do. Oof, they didn't like that. And so, continued going, and uh, how does, how does, how do you guys, what, what, what kind of church you, what do you mean? Uh, well, I believe in, in the Bible. Yeah, but what is that church you said you, you, you were a member of? Uh, I'm a member of a Baptist church in, in North Carolina. Um, yeah, how do Baptists administer salvation? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. we don't administer salvation. That's a thing of God. Well, how do, you, how do you believe salvation? So for 20 minutes, they just listened to me on how I believe salvation, the free gift of, of salvation through Jesus Christ. You know, I'm... I'm quite positive that there's someone in here today who doesn't really know what that means or hasn't accepted it. And so I'll share with you what I share with them. That 1 Corinthians 15, Paul told the Corinthian church what he said was of first importance, the most important thing in our daily Christian life. And that's this, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, in fulfillment of the scriptures. And proof of that, he was buried. And that he rose again three days later, according to the scriptures. And proof of that, well, he was seen by the 12 apostles. And he was seen by 500 other people. And he was even seen by Paul himself. And that is the gospel and its essence that Christ died for us, for our sins. And by believing in that substitute, Jesus Christ, for us, we can have eternal life. And they were going back and forth and I was like, am I saying this clear? Because some of them were saying, nah. One lady said, so you believe the same thing as us. You believe that it's uh, by faith plus works, what we do good. And I said, before I could respond, another lady said, that's not what he's been saying. He said that he believes it's just by faith, not by works. So at least... Yeah, you know, many times I wonder, am, am I being clear in my language? Is, is something off there? But God's using even fractured, frail opportunities that I, my abilities to, to get his word out. That tells you a little bit about where we are. This is what happens on, during Easter week. Very sad for a guy, a kid who grew up in Georgia that just looks like the Ku Klux Klan. It's not. It's probably where they got the idea from. But it's these people who dress up to cover their identity so that other people won't know what they are in, in, in essence is between them and God. Although they'll always be like, oh, that's my husband carrying the cross. <laughs> so they're not really, it's, it's a tradition, very shallow, just, okay, we're going to do this. People will flog themselves. It's sad though, because they really do believe that somehow they say, por si acaso, just in case we do this. In case somehow we earn God's favor. Most Spaniards, I've heard it so many times, you would think it's a recording. They say, 
I am a, I'm a Catholic. I'm Catholic. I'm a Spaniard. I'm Catholic. It's like the same thing. Spaniard Catholic. In practice, I'm atheist, but I respect all religions. I've heard that so many times that I wonder where do they get the script from? I mean, it's just like, but it's kind of like, whoop, if you start talking about spiritual things, I'll say, I'm, I'm Catholic. Uh, by practice, I'm atheist, but I respect all religions. Tolerance, oh man, that's their game there. So when you're able to ask questions and, and use it over time, like in that book club, I was there for a year before I really got that really clear opportunity to share the gospel. And it's kind of like on, on Paul uh, on uh, Mars Hill. A lot of people scoff. Or the, some say, oh, we'll listen to you this again. That's interesting. Hmm. We're praying for those who, like with Paul, that clave unto him, that, that united them, believed in the gospel. We've been there a year and a half, and we haven't seen the first person come to know Christ. I want to be clear on that. I never want to be... Uh, get you to get the wrong idea. We've had multiple opportunities to share the gospel, but we've never seen someone place their faith in Christ in the year and a half we've been there. But we know what's going to happen because in Revelation 7, verse 9, it says that there's this, this something that's future from every tribe and tongue and nation, people, a huge host before the throne. So there's going to be people one day before the throne. We don't know when, when we're going to see the first one, but that's what you're praying about. And I, I uh, trust you are. Some of you don't know me. This is the first time you've ever seen me. So you, maybe you can start praying for that. But open with your, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. While you're turning there, I'll share three things you can be praying for us about. We're asking that the Lord would provide a meeting place, kind of a neutral place outside of our homes that we can whole Bible studies, maybe even the English conversational groups in. It will give us more freedom to maybe even have a Bible study right after the English group and stuff like that. More freedom other than just being in a restaurant or the neighborhood association. And then wisdom and patience. I heard that actually in this church when I was about 15, I said a lady, she was really probably 19 or 20, she was talking about, she asked that the Lord would give her, that she would be patient but not passive. And I really like that. I remember that to this day. And I asked for that too, that we wouldn't get lazy. Before we went to Spain, people would tell us, it's going to take a long time. You, you know, dig your heels in. And I want to be cognizant of that, but not use it as an excuse to say, well, it's going to take a long time, so if I don't see any fruit, you know, that's fine. It was 400 years in between the time that the Old Testament is closed and this guy, hairy guy named John the Baptist comes on the scene and then his cousin Jesus comes on the scene and is crucified and raises from the dead, is here for 40 days, ascends. And then the world turns upside down, it says a few years later. It can happen like that, change. And we want to be ready when people's hearts become softened and open to the gospel, always sharing with it, never waiting until someone just, just asks us, always sharing and being available so people know who we are and, and who we follow. Would you join me in prayer as we go to God, into God's word? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, uh, the ministry of the Gideons. 
It is because of your word that we can stand here today. Because if we didn't have your word, we wouldn't know about your gospel. Father, something that uh, we plead for in Spain is that those who claim to be believers would have a profound conviction in the, the inerrancy and the sufficiency and the authority of your word. That it, it speaks to all matters of life. Father, your word is so powerful, but if we don't believe in its authority, we, we won't abide by it. But when we understand what it truly is, Father, it changes our lives. Father, it is a humbling task to be able to stand before my brothers and sisters in Christ and impart your word, impart truth. And Father, it would be very simple, very easy to just share my opinion, and that would, that would help no one here. So I pray that it would be a clear exposition of your word. And Father, it's too easy, too, to sit here week after week and just enjoy good preaching, and, but not be changed by it. And so we pray that that doesn't happen either, Father. Father, we look good today. It's a, it's a holiday, and it's, it's really easy to put on a good face, but I'm sure there's people here who are struggling, who are hurting, who are grieving. Father, there's going to be people here who look great but are in open rebellion to you, or maybe not open, <laughs> maybe it's concealed rebellion to you. Father, there's everything here. There's people here who are enjoying wonderful fellowship with you because they are daily in your word and following your son. There's everything. Only you can see our hearts. And so I pray to the the searcher of hearts that you would, through your word, do just what it says in Hebrews and divide down to the joints and the marrow and, and the intents of our hearts that we might be able to glean one way when we leave here that we can be more like Christ than when we entered this room and that those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ right now, that they would leave here not just with a clear understanding of what that is, but with that relationship, knowing their sins are forgiven. And I pray this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, and this passage has already been read for us this morning. Genesis chapter 11. If you've grown up in church, then it's something that's a very common passage to you because it would get into, maybe you've seen it in flannel graph, maybe you've seen it in different types of presentations, but the Tower of Babel is what we would normally think about this. But actually, this this passage talks about a, a city and a tower. Normally, it's just the tower that gets brought up. But as he starts off the passage, he says, the whole earth had one language and one speech. It's really important to know some of the background of, of this, well, of Genesis uh, as we look into this passage. And there's a couple things that I just want to pull out that the author, Moses, he's not constrained from using the, the literary devices of the language in which he was writing in that day. And so there's going to be things that, if we're not careful just reading it through in our English translation, we wouldn't normally recognize those things. He's going to use things like repetition in the book of Genesis, irony, sarcasm even finds its way into the book of Genesis. They'll use poetry. Some of these things we would never see in our English translation. Some of the things the the translators are really good at, or they'll put it in parentheses or something, or maybe there's a little note in your Bible. 
But all these things are really important for us to, to understand because we use figures of speech daily, moment by moment. There's hardly a, a conversation you'll have as you leave here where you're not going to use some figure of speech. And if a Spaniard were here that was learning English, they would have trouble understanding what you're saying because they have not learned that figure of speech. I've learned the hard way that uh, figures of speech don't translate into Spanish. and Jokes in English don't translate into Spanish, especially word plays. Man, it's been so embarrassing sometimes to use those and, yeah, just quiet. Um, even some of my jokes in, in Spanish don't work. Anyway, <laughs> Moses is using some of those things in here. And so when he says the whole earth had one language and one speech, it's not just repetition. He's trying to convey that there was an understanding at this time which the world has never again since experienced except on the day of Pentecost when people would speak and then other people would understand clearly the words of the gospel in their own language. So there is something that we can't really connect with here, the understanding that, was, that took place in that day. Because there wasn't really like, so to speak, you know, we speak English, but I can go up to New Jersey or, you know, we talk about New Jersey, New York. There's some phrases that they could say there in the Bronx or something. I'm just not going to get. I was like, excuse me, what? And then they could come down here and, you know, we could throw on some Coweta County language that they're just not going to get either. And so there's accents, there's, but that wasn't really present in that day. Languages hadn't been created and so it came to pass, they journeyed from the east, they found a, plan, a plain in the land of Shinar, they dwelt there. It's really important that we remember what's taken place in Genesis. When you get to chapter 5, you know, the fall has already taken place in chapter 3, and chapter 5 is this like sad, almost like a hammer that's pounding by this one phrase, and he died, and he died, and he died. It's a genealogy of Adam's lineage. And it's just, Moses is using that for a purpose. He's trying to remind you, sin is reigning in the earth. They can't get away from it. They, everyone is dying, just like God has said. They, they died, they died. They lived hundreds of years, but they still died. A millennia has come and gone by the time of Noah is on the scene. God wipes out what some estimate was more than a billion people, leaving Noah and seven other people in the entire world. And then the first command we see since the flood was to repopulate the earth. This is the last command that we have seen when we, that's recorded when, by the time we get to chapter 11. The author tells us of the generations in chapter 10. But it's really important that we understand Genesis isn't written exactly chronological. Okay, so you, you understand that reading chapters 1 and 2. It's like the author will, Moses, he will tell something, then he'll kind of back up and and. And unpack that. And then you'll tell something. And you know, we do that in movies too. You know, you see the very end of it. And then the rest of the movie's like telling how it got to there. And then the, the spoiler at the end. So that's what's happening because he tells the generations. But then 11 is how, how they got there. How people got all over the earth. Different languages. Different people groups. It's, like I said, it's really easy to read this and, and just read it through. Also with what we've always heard, it's kind of familiar. But we really need to read this saying, God, help me to understand the fundamental truths of this passage so that I can apply them to, 
to my everyday life and not just be like a biblical story that I know that doesn't have any bearing on, on my everyday life. So we come then to verse 3. Then they said, the people, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had bricks for stone, asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and take and a tower whose name, whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. You know, Moses is being intentional when he uses that language, let us. Because then later he's going to talk about God and God says, let us. There's hints of the, of the uh, at least the plurality of God, the triune nature. You, you don't see three necessarily there, but you see that God is, uh, it makes you at least say, if you've never read the Bible, what is that talking about? Like God says, let us. But Moses is talking about the people are kind of taking on that, those aspects of God, so to speak. Let us do this. God has already said to uh, replenish the earth this is what they're wanting to do. And you know what? We, we see here something that's plagued man since the fall. Wanting to get back to Eden. Uh, a lot of people have made their conjecture as to what the tower was. I, I don't think it's so important. Personally, I think it was a sacred space. I think even Eden was a mountain. Because there was four rivers that came from it. East, south, north, west. How does that happen if it's not like a high place for it to go down? Throughout scripture, high places are prominent. Usually, there should be only one high place. That's the temple. That's the, the tabernacle, where that is. And the other should be cast down. It shouldn't be worshiping there. There's one. It's solitary. It talks about going up to the hill, the mountain of Zion. All through the Old Testament, you see high places, mountains, uh, things like that. So I think that's probably, since they were in a flat place, they were trying to make themselves a sacred space. But I'm not going to die by that. If you put a gun to my head, I might change my mind. But uh, it seems so innocent what they're doing. They're making a name for themselves, making a city, making, making a tower. But that's what most of our idols look like, so harmless. You know, it's not really doing something so terrible. We even struggle with this today. Their heart motivation is, is revealed when they said to make a name for ourselves. It sounds like this today. I just want to make a difference. I just want to make a difference in the world. It sounds like this when, when we say, there, there's songs that say, like, leave, just leave the world a little better than you found it. There's someone that's no theologian, but, but this uh, artist wrote this. I want to say I lived each day until I die and know that I meant something in somebody's life. The hearts I have touched will be the proof that I leave that, that I made a difference and this world will see. And then later the artist says, I, I just want to know that I gave my all, did my best, brought someone some happiness, left this world a little better just because I was here. Does anybody know who wrote that? Y'all are good spiritual people. <laughs> I bet somebody knows who wrote that. Anyway, anyway, a good question to ask ourselves here would be, how might my own desire for safety, comfort, or notoriety interfere with wholeheartedly pursuing Christ? And you say, why do you say those things? Safety, comfort, notoriety. That's basically what they were pursuing here. Safety, comfort, and notoriety, and those make really bad gods. 
And that's something that every person here, you struggle with one of those things, trying to war for your affections. A desire for safety, a desire for comfort, a desire to, to make a name for yourself, to, to be someone. You know what? God's word tells us that to, to do whatever we do wholeheartedly is unto the Lord, but that is our stri- uh, that's our goal, unto the Lord, so that he receives the glory. Until I was 21, the Lord used several failures in my life to show me, Caleb, I didn't put you on this earth to make much of your name. I put you on this earth to make much of my son's name. Is it possible that my desire to make a difference in the world, and especially young people listening to this, is it possible that your desire to make a difference in the world is actually a masking of your personal pride and a desire to make a name for yourself? What college you go to, what job you get, and we'll just throw it out there. Yeah, you know, I got full ride scholarship, or I, I have several offers I'm considering. You know, we, we, we make it very nice, or we just throw out, you know, yeah, this, I got a couple offers for a job, and, uh, you know, just trying to pray and see, see what God's will would be for my life. But we, we really just wanted to make sure everybody heard all, all the opportunity we have and how wonderful that, that is. I know some of you have done that. I've done that. I'll still struggle with that. Verse 5 says, The Lord, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And this right here, this is sarcasm or, or irony. Or, and how do we know that? Because God is a spirit. God doesn't have a body. So Moses is saying like God does have a body. He's coming down. Did you ever struggle with in, in the Torah when it talks about God says, this is where I will dwell, the tabernacle. Like, you're omnipresent. This is all man, how God relates to man, the language that is used. God is everywhere, but in certain times, in certain places, he has manifests himself to mankind. God is everywhere, but you and I can't see him right now. God's everywhere, but on the road to Damascus, through the person Jesus Christ, he revealed himself to Paul. So when God says he came down to seek don't miss this. Moses is mocking mankind because, remember, what, what was their goal? To build a tower that reached into the heavens? He said, God's like, let me go down there and see what they're doing. You know, God doesn't have to do that, but he's using this language to mock. You don't have to read very much of Proverbs to see. There's times when God will mock the wicked. He says, I will mock when your fear comes. And we're told it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Don't miss that. You don't want to be there. And you can be there if you repeatedly mock your God, your creator. Don't say, one day, I'm going to become a follower of Christ. One day, I'm going to be serious. I'm going to get serious. You don't, you don't know that you'll have another day. So sarcasm, so to speak, or mocking is employed here. For a God who's everywhere, he comes down and, and it's really a contrasting of the holiness of God with the frailty of man. 
it's kind of like Moses is saying, saying they're trying to make a, a way to God, uh, perhaps a sacred space, and it doesn't, doesn't work at all. Utter failure. This passage is a reminder that man needs a savior. He can't reach perfection, God's holiness, by his own af- efforts. And verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have all one language. This is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose will be withheld from them. And for years I would read that and think, God was marveling at this people he made. And it just doesn't, that's weird. You know, if we were to put this in Georgia lingo, it would be something like this. God is not marveling at what they can accomplish. God is omniscient, okay? He knows beginning from the end. If we read in Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega, he's the one who inhabits eternity. So it's not like God's going, I didn't know I programmed them with the ability to do that. That's, that's not what, no. God is marveling at their arrogance, the rebellion from a holy God. It, in, in good old Georgian, it would be something like this. They're a little too big for their britches. Or to say it, read the passage there. Now whatever they purpose to do will be withheld from them. You think you can do anything. That's not saying you can do anything. It's saying in your estimation, you are now taking on the role of God. Verses 7 through 9 Come, let us go down. This is God speaking now. So there's a contrast. First, man says, come, let us go down. Now God is, and confused their language. Man had a purpose. It was frustrated. It was, well, it's about to be. Come, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel really arrogant that later there's going to be a king who's going to call his city Babylon, the city of Babel. And later, even further from today, that that will one day again be be reconstructed. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. You know, when I would read this, for years I struggled saying, God, wasn't that a little harsh? They were just building a city and a tower. It just kind of seems like God was saying, oh, I didn't see that one coming. I got to do something to stop that because they're getting too powerful. What some, even some secular theologians have considered the capricious actions of an unjust God. What does capricious, capricious mean? That's a good ACT word for you. It, it, just watch a three-year-old for about 10 minutes and you'll see capricious. They just do what they want with no real reason. Why? Just, the fellow, why'd you hit your sister? Just want to see what it felt like, you know? That's capricious. Some people have thought that's just what God's doing and so many people view God that way. Do you realize? I, I want to say this because this is important. Even like, you know, I, I, I enjoy reading history a lot. And it's even in, enjoyable to read like some of the things of Plato and Aristotle and all these different ones. You, you, you need to know your history. But you read some of their stuff, even Greek mythology, you know, it's interesting. But you gotta be careful because every one of us, whether we realize it or not, have been 
impacted by that. Even, you know, like everywhere, there's this huge buzz of Marvel. Now, I was going to tell you, I've, I've watched many of those. I enjoyed them. But what does that do if I'm not careful? It makes me think God is a person that has a body that is finite. That's how it's subtle, very subtle. So we need to be careful. And we need to be cognizant that I read God's word and I struggle with thinking that God has a physical body and is finite, that somehow there's a possibility that he could lose. You need to repent of that in your thinking. I need to daily repent of that in my thinking because that is not the creator of the ends of the earth. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and to them who have no might. He increases strength. This is not the capricious action of an unjust God. It was really the merciful action of a holy God in keeping his creation from universal damnation. See, diversity reminds us of God's mercy. We have nations today. We have people groups. And that reminds us of God's mercy. You know what? If I look around here, I'm going to, let's be honest, we look a lot like each other. And we tend to, since the Tower of Babel, cluster with people who look and think and speak like us. The gospel should tell us, the gospel has told us to go to the ends of the earth, to every people, tribe, and nation. That needs to happen in Noonan, too. And that means a changing of some of your patterns because your normal patterns are not going to bring you in contact with people who are different from you. The gospel reminds us of this, what God did here, because can you imagine what is God doing? He's keeping man from being as wicked as he could. Thank God that he's done that. Throughout the Old Testament, you see God who never lets man just globally be as wicked as he could. Sometimes he wipes out entire nations so that man globally will not be as wicked as he could. And he ultimately sends his son because if you read the Old Testament, you see there is never going to be a way that man can achieve righteousness. Man left to his own devices will always reject God, but God doesn't leave man to himself. He keeps his promises, and it's a promise that he just made in Genesis where he says, I will send one. Well, let's just read that because it, it, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. If it was the first time you were ever reading the Bible and going through in Genesis and, and, and you get to 3 verse 15 and and there's this poetry here that says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, her, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And it's like, what? Theologians have called that the, the proto-evangelium or the first mention of a gospel where God pr- promises right there. It's unpacked throughout scripture. I'm going to send one that's going to crush the serpent. It's going to come from man but it's going to be my power. It's going to be Jesus Christ, born, the incarnation. In the following verses, which we won't read, past nine, there's another genealogy, and Moses keeps up the idea of mercy. It's, it's subtle, though, but it's also 
a marked difference from the last genealogy because the last genealogy is marked by those words and he died and he died and he died and he died. And this one, you never see the words death or died. Never. It'll say, and he, he lived this many years and he had other sons and daughters. It never says any died. Obviously they died, we know that. But Moses is using a different way because we're remembering, they'll call, theologians have called this the godly line of Shem. In other words, it's where the Messiah is going to come from, not because of the godliness of this line that, oh, God's like, oh, they're really godly, I'm gonna use them. God is, uh, from before the foundation of the earth, he's had his plan for his son to come and save mankind. But this one line is following the one commandment that we've seen since the flood, be fruitful and multiply. And so Moses is, He's pulling that out. They had a lot of kids. There's going to be someone who comes from this line, a Messiah. What do we take away from this passage today? Some questions that from the text will confront us. This is what the world would say. To leave the world a better, uh, better, a little better than you found it, that's the best man can ever do. Boy, if that's what you believe here today, I hope that you would talk with me or Pastor Clark or Pastor Carl, someone beside you and say, this is my worldview and it's sad. It doesn't go past when I die. Just hope that, that that's a sad outlook on life. But the kingdom of God, it's one that doesn't, doesn't end. And so when we look at what's some questions that we could glean perhaps when we read this passage, how might my own personal desire for safety, comfort, or notoriety interfere with wholeheartedly pursuing Christ? I already mentioned that. Are there ways in which I have hijacked my God-given talents for my own purposes? These people were talented and they... They were making a state-of-the-art city and tower, but they were doing it for their own purposes. God is giving each one of you talents. How are you using those? Do you use it to make much of Jesus' name? Would my family, my coworkers, or my friends say that I make much of Christ's name or of my own? Has your neighbor ever heard the gospel from your lips? Or maybe the person, students in the seat beside you. How about... Do I find my worth or my ability in any talent apart from the grace of God? How about this one? Is there any trial in my life that might actually be the merciful discipline of a loving father? You know, sometimes we say, why would God let this happen to me? Whenever we're going through a trial, it's a possibility like the man that was lame that the disciples said who sinned him and his parents God, Jesus said no no it is for the glory of God when we're going through a trial it could just be for the glory of God and it could be God's discipline because we're walking in sin don't ever cast that out that should be like the first question God am I doing something that you're disciplining me and I need to repent does my circle of friends reflect the God created diversity that we see in our community is it a gospel Circle of friends, like more than just people who look like me? Or do I look like the people after the Tower of Babel? they just kind of gotten their clicks. Is it possible that my desire to make a name 
for myself or make a difference in the world is actually a masking of my personal pride and a desire to make a name for myself. I hope that one of those questions you can go away with and you can pray about that today and say, God, how can this passage that you put in your word, it's not just history, it's meant to transform my life. How can this have impact on me today on Father's Day in 2019? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. It is Father's Day and and I thank you for my father. Thank you that you could be here today. My father is the, is the most influential person in, in the world to me. He's influenced me more than any other person. And Father, I thank you for that because it prepared me, even as flawed as he is, to receive you, the perfect father, and to know you better. Father, there's some great dads in here. But they, they, it's almost a joke when they're put up beside you and your perfect love. It is a joke. It's, and Father, there's some dads in here, I'm sure, that, that are struggling, that, that aren't really following you or, or modeling Christ to their children. I pray that, that today would be the day of repentance and say you give him, even as you've given me, Father, the job of being a father to little Chloe, it's... It's so immense to think that I, I have a soul, so to speak, in my hands. Father, don't let us walk away today from the mirror of your word and not be changed. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.